Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What the hell is up, everybody? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, and I am your host, Elliot Clough. On today's show, we've got none other than David Grubb of Sports 1280 AM and Hard in the Paint with David Grubb, 10 AM to 12 PM, Monday through Friday. So I think I talked about it earlier on when the podcast was still in its infancy when I joined the Bird Rights probably about a month ago. Uh, David also covers the Pelicans with the Bird Rights, and he's also a occasional co-host of the bird calls as well but david had me on his radio show hard in the paint just a little bit ago probably about a month ago we at believe in the new orleans pelicans thought it would be a good idea to return the favor uh, especially with what's going on in the country right now if you haven't heard david has been very vocal very active on twitter and in other forms of social media as well as on his radio show with the folks over at The Bird Calls, The Bird Writes, and uh, he's been on TV, been on, been guests on different radio shows throughout Louisiana. He's been helping uh, guys in New York even as well. So David's been all over the place and he was kind enough to stop by here with us today. An excellent, excellent conversation. Um, Informative, enlightening, and incredibly genuine and authentic. David is a very, very good guy. Not only is he excellent at what he does for Sports 1280, but he's genuine and and clearly cares not only about sports, but about people and about the community that he does represent. So on today's episode of Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, David and I talk about the effects of George Floyd's murder the Pelicans' response to the entirety of the situation, Drew Brees, and then a little bit of Pelicans' playoff. So here is our conversation with David Grubb of Sports 1280 AM and Harden the Paint. All right, we are joined by David Grubb, the man, the myth, the legend, especially this week. David Grubb of Harden the Paint on 1280 AM in New Orleans. David's been all over the place. Like I said, this week he's been on different radio shows, been on TV, blowing up on Twitter. David, how are you doing? Are you all right? Are you a little bit tired? Are you surviving? Oh Yeah, I'm a little tired, but... Um... <laughs> You know, this is this is the business that we get into, and you hope that there are moments when um, what you say and what you do resonates with people enough that they seek you out for it. And 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 I'm glad that in this moment, because it's so important that that I get to be one of those people. Because ultimately, when you get into the media or journalism, I hope that most people get into it to to tell the truth. To, to show the truth and to to however that appears, whether it's in news or sports or whatever. And 
hopefully to make a, a positive difference. And if, if that's what I've been able to do this week, then, um, you know, I couldn't be more proud. And that's the appeal of the smaller shows, smaller markets right now, especially when we're not sure what we're getting from CNN, what we're getting from Fox News, if it's true or not. So so you are incredibly, incredibly valued and your opinion is clearly incredibly valued. So we definitely appreciate you taking a little bit of time on this podcast today. Um, now, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of what you've been what you've been doing this week? I, I said it before we started, but I saw you were on Baton Rouge's ESPN affiliate. You told me you were on TV last night. I saw a little bit of the clip on Twitter, but can you give us a little bit of synopsis of what this whole last week has been like for you? Yeah, um, you know, every day I do two hours of my own on um, Sports 1280 in New Orleans. And so then this week I've been doing, I do an extra two hours on, I've been doing an extra two hours on Mondays and Wednesday in Houston, talking to that market. Uh, said I, I did um, uh, Bad Rouge uh, radio with uh, Matt Moscona. T-Bob Aber was hosting that day and I, uh, I spoke with him. Uh, I did Inside New Orleans Sports last night. I did Scott Farrell um, on Farrell from Coast to Coast. Um, and it's just, there's just been a lot of calls and a lot of, uh, you know, people texting me or asking my opinion from things. And, um, yeah, it's, it's busy. I mean, I, I, I just today, earlier today, recorded a podcast with the bird calls for, um, with the bird rights. So, uh, it's just, it's, it's been so much and I still have more this weekend. And, uh, again, it's just, it's, it's a lot of work, but at the same time, there are a lot of people doing a lot more and I just have to talk and I just have to, you know, pay attention. So in the, in the grand scheme, it's not the heavy lifting, but you know, anything that that we can do to help move this process forward, you know, if I'm a part of it, I'm glad to be. Absolutely. So, so what has this, what has this week been like? Uh, And I know based on the color of your skin. I mean, this is it's it's different in America for you versus versus me. A a white kid living in Madison, Wisconsin doesn't have the same experience that you do, David. And what has this week? I mean, you mentioned your fatigue, you mentioned all that you've been involved in this week. What has it been like? How how are you feeling right now? There's just got to be an overwhelming sadness, uh anger. Can can you can you explain that for us? Yeah, you run the gamut of emotions. Um, there are times, you know, when I've, I've been on air on the verge of tears. Um, there are times when you are angry. There are times when you are speechless where I, uh, you know, I reach for words and grasp for them because I just don't know how to articulate what I'm feeling in the moment. Um, and then there are times that are really hopeful, even in all of this, uh, because you see such a broad based amount of support, you know, in every state, in countries around the world, the attention is being directed at the United States, yes, for something very negative and for something very bad. Um, but there are so many more people, it seems, willing to be involved and willing to speak up. And you'll filter, we'll filter out, you know, who's serious and who's not over the long haul. But at the same time, like I have, I have a 12 year old daughter and if I don't have any hope, then what do I do for her? You know what I mean? She's got a whole life to live. So ultimately you try to remain hopeful and you try to, to, to believe that, um, 
you can be optimistic about the future, um, but you're also real and you're honest that it, none of this is going to be easy. And, uh, you know, it's just there are days, some days are better than others. Some days you just, I come home and, and I, after I've finished what I have to do and I just immediately want to go to sleep because I'm just mentally through. Um, but then there are other moments that I get a message or I get feedback or I get support from a friend or a listener or a colleague and, you know, a family member. And it just, it, it hits right at the right time. And, and you forget about for a moment, you know, what we're all dealing with. So it's, it's had its highs and it's had its lows. Um, it's probably been one of the most exhilarating in, in both a positive and negative way weeks of my life. Um, and just, yeah, every day is, is a blur of activity. This is such a pivotal moment in in our country's history. And, and I mean, you, you did a, such an eloquent job of, of putting that all together and, and explaining your emotion. And, um, I don't know if anybody's told you this, this isn't necessarily for the podcast, but just man to man, I'm very proud of you for what you've done this week, David. I just want you to know that. Um, now you wrote a piece at the beginning of the protests and, and everything that was happening when teams were releasing, uh, uh, excuse me, releasing statements. People were releasing statements. Um, I mentioned your article in, uh, this, excuse me, a couple days ago. Uh, our podcast that we had a couple days ago and I meant to put it in the description. I checked Apple Podcasts this morning. It's not there, but it will be in this description of the podcast. But you mentioned that it's basically what Gail Benson did in that statement. Who knows if she, she probably had nothing to do with even writing that statement. It was most likely Pell's PR team. But you mentioned that it was a lot of just her patting herself on the back and the organization patting themselves on the back. Didn't mention racism one time. What would you what What do you think the Pels should do or or should have done instead of the posts that they made on social media? I think they could have spoke for themselves. Um, I, you know, you saw David Griffin, Swin Cash, Trajan Langdon, Al, Alvin Gentry, a lot of people involved with NBA broadcasts later that day after the statements were made. Um, I think the Pelicans should have spoken for themselves. I think we need to see people right now rather than just read their words. Um, a lot of people are going to put out a lot of words um, on these topics over the next weeks, a uh, few weeks and months. And when you are a huge stakeholder in a community, when you are the wealthiest person in the state of Louisiana, when you have the kind of power that Gail Benson has, and I, I really think people do her and um, – themselves a disservice when they refer to her as Miss Gale because she's not a grandmother. She's not this, she's a business person. She's a capable business person. She's clearly an intelligent business person. So you should, we should treat her that way. And she has power in the state of Louisiana and she has the ability to affect change. If you cannot say the word racism in 652 words, of your supposed support for the destruction of racism, then how can you address that issue? You don't use that word. You talk about things that have nothing to do with racial inequality. Yes, it is fantastic that the Pelicans support um, police, I mean, support prisoners returning to their communities. But how did those prisoners get there in the first place? 
you know, is the justice system working right to, to get them there in, that, in the first place? The public defender's office is a great place to, to have support. Yes, we need more public defenders. Yes, they're overworked. Yes, they're often underqualified. But again, if the criminal justice system is, is not doing its job from the outset, if it's set up disproportionately to punish the wrong people, having a great public defender doesn't help you if you're in, in you know, for charges that you shouldn't be in the first place. So I, I'd like to see them not spend so much time talking about what you already did, because if that's the case, then you don't you, you don't do things for kudos. When you have that power in that position, you don't do things for thank yous. You shouldn't. You're expected to do those things. I was taught that. You were taught that as a kid. To whom much is given, much is expected. And Gail Benson has been given a lot by the taxpayers of the of this, the state of Louisiana, uh-huh. by the fans of her teams. They have given her plenty. And to give her voice in support of those things is greater than any dollar that she could give at this time. To walk into the the Louisiana legislature, to talk to the governor, to pick up the phone and say, what are you going to do about these things? When you have $2 billion sitting behind you, you have power. You have the way to make sure that sheriffs get elected or don't get elected throughout a state. Or you have the chance to influence district attorney elections. And we know that the owners and leagues have supported presidential candidates, have supported political causes that they believe in in the past and done so openly, which is their right. If now at this time you're going to say you're an ally, that you're on the side of something, then you're going to have to put more than just your money where your mouth is. You're not going to buy this problem off. This is not a financial problem. This is not a black problem. It's not a white problem. It is an American problem. And it takes more than just some statements on social media or press release to absolve any of us of our responsibility in fixing it. Whether we like it or not, money basically means power in in America. That's that's capitalism. That's that's the free market. And she has a lot more power than I think people realize. And I think you hit that on the head there. Uh, if there were to be, you know, you, you mentioned that um, you can't buy your way out of this. You can't buy your way out of systemic racism. If there was any place to, to donate right now, I, I've seen a bunch of links and there's almost too many to count. Is there any any link specifically that, that you think would be best for us to look at to, to, to donate to right now? To me, the most urgent need is for bail funds um, to get people, protesters, bail funds. And then I would say specifically um, right now, the people who are really hurting, Brianna Taylor, if, they, if there's a GoFundMe for Brianna Taylor, she is also lost in a lot of this. She was killed in Louisville, shot eight times by the police who went into the wrong house unannounced on a drug bust and was killed in her own home. Um, and there's a lot of the protests have, have been about her as well. Um, her family still has not gotten enough money to bury her. So um, in the immediate sense, bail in your local areas for people who are protesting. Um, look, you know, wherever you're listening, there are organizations, whether it's the ACLU or whether it's there's an, an independent organization where you are. But also, ultimately, I would go to GoFundMe and look for Brianna Taylor's uh, GoFundMe page and donate to her family so that they can give that woman who would have been 27 today a proper burial. That link will be in the description of today's podcast as well, Pelicans fans. You can check that out. And then uh, the bail fund for New Orleans will be in this podcast description as well. So you'll be able to check that out uh, once this is over. And I'll make sure to remind you of that as well before the end 
of the podcast. Now, we talked about Gail Benson. We talked about the executive speaking up on an NBA Together with Ernie Johnson. Um, and if you missed that, I, I retweeted it, but you can also check it out on, I believe it's NBA's, uh, the NBA's Twitter page or TNT or, or whatever. But um, would you like to see more from, from Pelicans players? I know Gail Benson in her statement mentioned that she was partnering with, with Lonzo, with, uh, with, with JJ Redick, and I believe another Saints player. Um, what would you like to see from, from Pelicans players right now? Um, what we have seen is, is a lot of them being active in their communities. Um, and, and for now, that's, that's what I want them to continue to do. I don't think they have to stop um, and, and send out messages. Lonzo Ball has, J.J. Redick has, of course, um, and a number, Jackson Hayes. Um, you know, we've seen their, their social media posts. I just want them to keep being citizens right now. You know, keep doing what they believe is right. And, and if however they feel that they want to lend their voices, do so. If it just means standing um, and, and at a protest, if it means, you know, um, saying something, if it means talking to somebody, I think that the players are doing, are taking their first steps. Now, once you go public and you promise something, whoever it is, once you go and promise, then, then we're going to hold folks accountable and, and, again, hold ourselves accountable because this takes all of us to fix. Um, but I think the NBA players um, have always done a very good job of communicating uh, when it comes to issues like this. I think they do well in their leadership and speaking among themselves and how they're going to handle things. Um, and, and I think because the NBA is one of the most diverse leagues in the world, um, players with, from so many different countries and backgrounds – I think it is a great incubator to have these types of conversations. And, and I think, that, you know, you look at the Pelicans roster in particular, it's makeup of veterans, of young people, of, of um, interracial uh, backgrounds, of, you know, you, you, international backgrounds. You have guys from so many different places. I think it's, it's a locker room that will be uniquely in some ways um, able to handle this situation in a, in a very good way. It has great leadership internally. Um, and again, I think the, the front office is made up of some very quality people. Um, so I, I'm encouraged by what the Pelicans are doing, and I look forward to seeing what they will do. I love what J.J. Reddick said on his podcast. Um, as a exceptional. Oh, gosh. He's just an incredible leader for this team. Couldn't be better. Um, I, I don't know if you heard his podcast, but he said, I, I talked about it on, on our more recent podcast as well, that he said, saying all lives matter right now is like going to an event for breast cancer and saying all diseases matter or, or all cancers matter. But right now it's not, I mean, yes, all lives matter. That, that is true. But black lives matter is at the forefront for a reason. He just made that very clear. And and have you, have you listened to that podcast yet? Yes. I, I think JJ, you know, look, first of all, JJ went to Duke and I hate Dukies. Um, in that regard, I went to Wake Forest and he went to Duke, but so, but uh, seriously though, um, JJ Reddick has proven to be one of the most responsible and, and aware, um, athletes and, and just one of the more candid interviews. Um, and one of my favorite people to talk to with the Pelicans because he is frank and he is honest. And you think about, from Reddick's place, it's easy for him to, to – he has nothing to, to gain in, in taking a stance. He has nothing to gain there. Um, 
there's no great benefit in it for him. He's not going to be all of a sudden more loved as a basketball player. You know, he knows his reputation as a, as a, as a basketball player and being a Duke guy or whatever, all those things. So when you see him do it in this way, in this manner, it, it what encourages you again is that it's authentic. And that's what you, all you can ask out of a person is to be authentic and to be honest about who you are and what you do know and what you don't know and what you want to know. And that's all. I just think JJ has done a fantastic job in that regard. And he is truly, you know, I think the Pelicans have gotten more out of him than they bargained for as far as being a leader. Um, I did not expect him to be this, have this much sway on this team. And um, he certainly has, has, has just shown himself to be um, a, a, a good man. And, and we'll, I, I just, I can't say enough. I mean, I, I, I just think JJ is, is phenomenal. Listen to any of his podcasts, and it's it's difficult to not fall in love with the guy. He's just a good dude, and, and like you said, just very authentic, very genuine, and very well spoken at the same time. Uh, and he stepped up, like you said, again uh, into a role that he hasn't necessarily been in before in terms of leadership. And he made what was, I believe, Gentry said at the beginning of the season, the most quiet locker room that he's ever been a part of. And, and JJ stepped up and, and took the lead there. And, and now he's using the platforms that he has to to make a move for this movement. And, and yes, I mean, you, you hit it. He, he's just a really good man. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, he prepares so much. You know, a lot of people have podcasts and they get on the air and they just talk because it's like uh, it's on brand. JJ is really prepared. He 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 is not doing this as um, for, and I'll be blunt for shits and giggles. He's do, he does his podcast and he is he is working at his craft. And that as a, as from our side of it, from people who do this daily, um, yeah, it. it it's, a, it's a, again just amazing amount of respect he has for what he's doing too. The dude's got a gift. If he does not move on to something more than this podcast once he's retired, I will be shocked. Uh, he, he's he's damn good at it, and I'd be again shocked if ESPN or or one of these other networks that that show basketball doesn't offer him a contract. Um, he's he's just a good dude, and and I think he would represent whatever network he were to sign with uh, very very well. Now, speaking of current players that will probably, well, maybe not anymore, but soon be uh, uh, color commentators for, for live basketball, I guess football games, uh, we, we heard a lot from Drew Brees in the last couple days, um, some really kind of disturbing stuff. And I'd just like to know, what were your thoughts on Drew Brees prior to his interview this week? I know he had mentioned that he felt that what Cap was doing was still disrespectful to the flag, um, and he just reiterated that this week. But did you have any thoughts on, on Drew Brees prior to this week that uh, you, you'd like to share? What did you believe about him prior to his comments this week? Well, I, I wasn't surprised by them. Um, going back to 2016 when he said what he said the first time, and he had – made other statements politically um, over the course of the years, which really should have let people know where he sat on these issues. And to me, my reaction was I wasn't angry at Drew Brees because I wasn't surprised. You know, so I think people just are now starting to pay attention more to what people are saying because of the temperature. 
Um, but, yeah, I wasn't surprised. So my critique of him was not in what he said. Um, because, again, I can only ask people to be consistent. My surprise is the quick turnaround in the, the apology. To go less than 12 hours from saying one thing to then saying, well, I get it. Well, why didn't you get it for four years? Why didn't you get it when you spoke with your teammates the last time? Why didn't you get it for all these, you know, for your entire adult life when, according to former teammates, they've had these conversations with Drew since Purdue? If that's the case, how do you get it in 12 hours? That is what bothered me. Drew Brees doesn't owe me an apology. doesn't owe black people an apology. Everyone in this country has the right to think what they think. If he thinks it's disrespectful, he can say that. Now, would he be accurate? No, he's not accurate because that's not that's never been the intent. He knows good and well that's not the intent. The problem there is you drive people off the subject when you bring up something that you intentionally know is not the answer to the question. He knows it was not an act of disrespect. He could say he doesn't agree with it, but when you once you use the term disrespect, you put people into a box. And I think that's where he, he he's now getting held – his feet are getting held to the fire for, but I didn't need the apology. I didn't need him to say that he was an ally of the black community, which he said in his Instagram apology. Now, if you're going to say you're an ally, now you have expectations. And so now I expect Drew Brees to act and I will watch what he does. But if he had gone on and never said anything um, again, after this, if he had not apologized, if he had stuck to his guns, I wouldn't have any more or less respect for Drew Brees because I never expected him to be on the side of, of social justice in that regard. I don't think Drew Brees is a racist per se, but I think he has a, a, an intentional blind spot when it comes to race because there's no way you can live and work amongst this many African-Americans and see the things that you've seen and be around these people and call them your brother and your friend and not see this part of their life and not see that, that these things have impacted them and how it does. To ignore that is to ignore part of their humanity. You know, it'd be no different than me talking to my mother and not understanding that she's a woman and that her experiences are going to be different than mine. We are both human beings. We both have the same last name. We both live in the same state. But she's a woman, and there are going to be different experiences. That doesn't make mine better or worse. It makes them different, and I need to understand them. And I think Drew Brees has just shown an intentional lack of understanding of his fellow man. If you don't agree, that's fine. You have the right not to agree. But don't try to placate me with an apology. Don't try to do something to save your reputation. If that's what this is, it's bad for all of us. If it's genuine, we'll see in, in, a, in a lot longer than it's going to take to generate that apology. Now, if, if I can be completely honest, to a degree, to a, to a small degree, I, I understand that vantage point of Drew Brees in terms of disrespect. But once again, you said it, and this is the overwhelming feeling that I think people have who are on the right side of history is that that's obviously not what it's about. 
It is not what it's about. It's never been about that. Cap actually talked to a member of the military to see what would be better as opposed to sitting. He decided to kneel because he didn't want to be disrespectful to the flag. He just wanted to call attention to the situation that's at hand. And uh, I, I mean, it's just, I just don't get it. I, I went over it on the podcast uh, this last podcast, it's just like, dude, read the room, if anything. I, it's just stupid. And you have to be, I mean, Ernie Johnson said it, I believe it was yesterday. What what Drew Brees is, on the show today. Yep, yeah. what Drew Brees is doing is blinding himself with the flag. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, you can have pride, you can be a patriot, but also recognize what's wrong in the country and what needs to be improved. Absolutely. And like I said, you have, it has to be it doesn't have to be malicious, but it has to be intentional to get the argument wrong. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you are trying to be adversarial, but you are intentionally trying to get it wrong because it's, it bothers your sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we have to get past is that this is not about feelings. This is not about, you know, um, policing thought. This is about right and wrong, and it's about America. And ultimately, if we are the nation that we say we are, we should not have to have conversations about extrajudicial killings. We should not have to have conversations about redlining. We should not have to have conversations about unequal sentencing. We should not have to have conversations about that if we're the country that we're supposed to be. The ideals and the reality don't match yet. And I will keep putting that comma on yet because we've been going through this for quite some time. That doesn't mean that people who are saying, you know, I think the greatest act of love you can give to something that you, someone or something that you say you care about is being honest about where they're messing up. If your parents, when you were a kid, weren't honest about your mistakes, you wouldn't have learned from them. If your friends do, do things wrong in our lives, we talk to them and we say, hey, I think you're doing something that's bad for you. That's love. Love is not ignoring the problems. Love is not pretending that they're not there to have quiet. Love is addressing those problems head on and trying to fix them. And I think that's what people forget is that loving America does not mean that you have to pretend that it's perfect. Yes, absolutely excellently put, David. Now, this is a Pelicans podcast, but we're covering a team in New Orleans. So do you think... How much do you think that this affects the the Saints going into this season in terms of a locker room? I, I know they had an emergency. Well, I don't know if emergency is the right word given um, what, what Sean Payton said on Twitter yesterday but or a couple days ago. Do you think this affects them negatively in terms of team camaraderie, in terms of the locker room? Because this team was noted as a as a team that was close compared relatively to, to other NBA teams, or excuse me, NFL teams. They had excellent uh, camaraderie in the locker room and, and got along really well. Now, a lot of these teammates of his, including new teammates Emmanuel Sanders, Malcolm Jenkins, are speaking out and, and are quite justifiably angry. Do you think that affects the Saints going into this season? I think it's something that will take some time to get over. Um, I think it's something that won't you, – you can't really start this until people are in the same room. You know, the healing process for this with this team, it's going to have to be once they're in the same room. 
Um, so some of this is going to fester for a little bit, and there will be side conversations that are had, um, and I'm sure Breeze will reach out to guys in this meantime and try to talk to them. But some people will never look at him the same, and maybe that's for the better. Um, but I'll tell you this, ultimately these are professionals. And do I think Drew Brees is the most egregious um, person who's ever been in the locker room? Like people have figured out how to play with guys. If, Richie Incognito. Um, oh. uh, yeah, that's Romanowski, a name, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there, there are people that have been in locker rooms who I would say are worse, you know, worse human beings than Drew Brees. Because I don't ultimately think Drew Brees is a terrible human being. I think that there have been people who are terrible human beings in locker rooms, and people figured it out. There's a job to be done. And ultimately, I think that that team is going to want to do its job, and you compartmentalize, like we all do. You go to work, and there are people at work who you hate, um, and you, you figure out how to do your job and just avoid them. And when you do have to interact with them, you do what you got to do, and you move on as quickly as possible. And I think those, will, those things will happen. His relationships will be tested. But ultimately – I don't think any one of those players is going to say, I'm going to lose my opportunity to win a championship because of the way I feel about Drew Brees. Now, what may happen is that this could be bigger than than the Saints. It could be something that goes and trickles around the league because of what you've seen players say today and say that they demand the NFL address certain things that it has not done. That's where I think this could start a much bigger conversation because players around the league will be looking at each other and asking each other these questions, and they'll be asking their general managers these questions, their owners these questions, and in turn, league office these questions. So that's where I think this gets bigger. I think within locker rooms, people figure out how to do these things and, and go about their jobs. But I think in, in towards the league, there's going to be a lot more um, of, a, of a spotlight. For sure, for sure. And that could ultimately, I mean, be a good thing. Uh, what, do, would you agree with that? Yes. Um, I think any space that does not have enough uh, diversity of opinion and voice is doing itself a disservice. Absolutely. You want Absolutely. As, as much access to talent as possible. I want to be able to pull – from the largest pool of talent that I can and bring those people in to work for me. So if I have, a, have created something that does not help those find that talent, then I'm losing out. I'm not making the most money I can make because I'm, I may have missed out on a great idea from someone. I'm not doing the most innovation that I possibly can because there are ideas that, are, that I'm leaving on the table. I'm not getting input from somebody who doesn't think like me to, ch- to challenge me because there may be a different road that we both haven't seen, but our ideas push each other down that path. And so that's where this has to start is people have to understand that practically speaking, Again, it's not about feelings to me. It's about the practicality of this. We are shortchanging ourselves as business people, as artists, as writers, as community members. All these things when when we lock out a group of people for stupid reasons like this. And I think the NFL could be, there's a reason that the NFL is America's game and not the world's game. It doesn't look like the world. It doesn't reflect the world. Basketball is the second growing, you know, fastest growing sport in the world behind uh, soccer because basketball is the most international of sports in that regard. You can go any community in any place in the world with a basketball in your hand and make a friend. 
Football isn't built that way. And those structures, there's a reason why football and baseball owners had the smallest percentage of responses um, in regards to these incidents over the last week. There's a culture that's different. And, and I think that football and baseball need to embrace those. Um, when more NHL owners speak out than NFL owners, then you know that you have a cultural problem. When the wow. NHL? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we're going to switch gears a little bit. And before we do that, David, once again, thank you so much for, for your opinion and your insight on things. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, I mean, you offer up things that I just can't from, from my vantage point. So, so greatly, greatly appreciated. Now, Pelicans. <laughs> now that we can talk about uh, the, the basketball team in New Orleans, what do you think uh, of this new established playoff format? The 22 teams, nine from the uh, yes, nine from the East, 13 from the West. Uh, Pelicans getting a shot at the, I guess, technically ninth seed play-in game, or maybe even the eighth seed, depending on how the rest of these regular season games play out. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's fair? There was nothing that was going to be fair. You know what I mean? Like there was nothing that you could find that was, that everybody was going to be happy with. I think um, you appease the most people possible by doing this. You had teams that had a legitimate chance to make a run based on their schedule and based on how close they already were. Um, and the fact that at the time, yeah, you looked at the Pelicans and the Blazers and they probably more than anyone else. Um, and even Sacramento um, were all surging at that point. Um, so I understand why uh, most folks, and I probably would have gone with just the top 16 to move beyond, but I get what they're doing here. By doing this, you do two things if you're the NBA. Number one, you get some extra games to give guys a chance to get their legs back. You don't jump right into playoff pressure and team shorting their lineups to six, seven guys, uh, eight guys in a rotation, and see some injuries really quickly and have the basketball disintegrate in quality. These eight games give you a chance to get the kinks out. So you needed more teams than what you had in order to do that. So there, these extra six teams allow the league to, to work some kinks out, some practical issues out. It, it almost becomes the preseason. But at the same time, you give those teams that are there some incentive to play. The unfortunate part about this is you could fall completely out of contention in three games. And then what do you do? That's the only thing is I worry about is, like, what happens when a team realizes, okay, we're not catching eight or nine. We're done. And now what becomes of the, the um, integrity of those games? So that will be something to watch. It's not perfect, um, but they're also giving a guy in Damian Lillard who made the Western Conference Finals an opportunity. Carmelo Anthony is still a name that people know. Zion Williamson, of course, a name that brings um, eyeballs to the television. And the NBA is going to be playing two to three games per day, which means, uh, or maybe more than that. So, which means that they they want enough stars to keep people glued to their TVs. So, I get it. Um, I think it's it's going to be a little clumsy. It's going to be a little awkward. Um, but I would have preferred sixteen. But I get it. I get it too. Um, I, I honestly I disagree with you on the sixteen. Uh, honest, I mean, when we're talking about tune-up games, I think it adds a sense of urgency that way when you add out or when you throw in these other 22, or excuse me, the others, other, uh, what is it, six, wait, let me do the math. 
five teams, <laughs> six teams, six. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I majored in communication in college. Don't expect too much from me, but, uh, other six teams here, I think it adds a sense of urgency. And I mean, the, the league wanted the Pelicans in the playoffs. That's, that is true. Um, exactly. And looking at those remaining six teams, the five in the West, uh, the only team that really I wouldn't want to watch of those remaining five teams is probably the Spurs. I think the other few teams are, are interesting. And I mean, the Spurs have DeMar DeRozan and, and LaMarcus Aldridge. So there's something to watch there. And also, you know, I love Greg Popovich, assuming he can go uh, to to the remainder of the season, given that I think there's that statistic of 65 and older. So we might not even see Alvin Gentry there. Um, now, do you think the Pels have a solid chance at earning that eight seed. I was going to mention before, before you answer that, I was going to mention that, I mean, these teams aren't going to show up and look exactly like they did when the season stopped. I mean, half these guys are quarantined, haven't put up a shot in the last two months. Granted, they're going to get that, that training camp before everything starts up and they won't be starting until July, late July, July 31st, I think is what I heard. But do you think that the Pels can can ramp up and get back to where they were. I know Kenny Hustle, Kenny Williams is going to be back, and, and Zion's still been rehabbing, so he might be more healthy than what he was when he was playing those 19 games. Do you think that the Pels have a solid chance at earning that eight seed? I I think it's going to be incredibly hard um, for them. It, d- it depends on how many games they get immediately against teams that they are immediately competing against. If they get five or more, like it, it, it looks like the schedule may provide for them, um, then I have to like their chances based on the matchups that they already had. We know that they played well against Sacramento. They played well against Memphis. They played well um, against um, San Antonio. Um, so the Pels are in good shape in that regard. But essentially what it looks like to me is they'd have to win no less than five. And, and five to me seems like the bare, bare minimum. I think you'd probably have to win six to put themselves in position. You look at Portland, Damian Lillard will be healthy. Uh, Zach Collins will likely be healthy. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic will probably be healthy for them, all of whom were gone when the season uh, was interrupted. That makes things a little bit more difficult. Uh, certainly Memphis is healthier. Uh, John Morant uh, had missed you know, a portion of the season. He came back. Jaron Jackson Jr., um, was, was playing himself um, into much better shape. So, yeah, it's it's not going to be easy. But you have to give the Pelicans a puncher's chance because they have what we saw over the last 20 games of the NBA uh, season before it stopped, the number one starting lineup in the league. So if that group can do what they were doing, or at least a reasonable facsimile of it when they return, then you'd have to give the Pelicans a shot. But, uh, yeah, it ain't going to be easy. This is, this, is, it's, this is the test. This is what we, the one thing we did not know about this team was how mentally they would respond to pressure the playoff race because that's what we thought we were going to get. And now at least we get to get this kind of small taste of it um, for them. I think that they will be motivated. Uh, certainly these guys, a number of these guys who have never been in the playoffs, this is the first time they'll be playing meaningful games at this point of the year um, or point of the season. So I think they'll be excited to do that. You have a young team, which certainly I think will help in the early stages of this because I think teams are going to have to explore their depth um, early on as guys get their legs back underneath them. 
and, and Alvin Gentry early on was able to go 10, 11 deep. I think it'll be, you know, most likely you'll see those guys in the first half of games where you get a couple of Nikhil Alexander-Walker minutes, maybe a couple of Jackson Hayes minutes, not to get them real minutes because I don't think he trusts them at this point, nor should he. But, but you know, again, he has the bodies available to run out there, give a guy a blow, and then get back on the court. Um, so I think the Pelicans are positioned to do well, um, but it's all going to come down to a number of factors that we can't even see yet. You know, how are guys mentally when they arrive? What's been going on in their homes with their families? You know, they're not going to be able to bring their families now to the bubble. So these guys are going to be separated. from. So there's a lot that goes on that we have to project. Hopefully because the Pelicans, a lot of them are young and unmarried, and hopefully there's less of a distraction. I don't know. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which is fair. fair. That's, That's totally, totally fair. fair. But we'll see. Uh, but talent-wise, all things being equal, I give them a puncher shot. It's just that ultimately if they are in that ninth spot, that means they got to beat Memphis four times. Yes, that is the hard part. That is the hard part of it all. I, I mean, and even just looking at their eight games – I projected that they'd go five and three just looking at it. I haven't put that anywhere on, on social media or anything, but uh, going into this play, I mean, it's basically eight playoff games before the playoffs is what it is really for the Pelicans and those lower seated Western conference teams right now. This is where I mean, we heaped the praise on JJ Redick earlier. This is where that leadership is going to be needed because the Pels are no, are like they're noted for their, collapse at the end of games and this is where we need jj reddick yes and, and the thing too is going to be you know this is almost like you're going to have to rely on guys aau experiences this is as close to for them this is like what it was being you know summers in high school were like everybody playing these big gyms no fans you know um playing a lot of games in a short amount of time so I think coaches are going to kind of have to tap into that. Of so this is just, hey, we're playing basketball. Yes, this is the NBA, but at the same time, kind of just relax them in that way and take that pressure off. You don't have to worry about fans. You know what I mean? You don't have to worry about booze. You don't have to worry about anything. We're all playing under these same conditions. It's like being at a camp. And maybe, again, with the team that's too young to know what it doesn't know, that may help them. Now, before we let you go, if any anybody who's listening has been on Twitter, they will know that Grizzlies fans are very butthurt right now. <laughs> do you think that's do you think that's justified? Also, I put up a poll on on Twitter, uh, or, uh, David. If you'd like to vote, go ahead and do that. But I put up a, a poll that said, "Do you believe Grizzlies fans deserve to be upset about the fact that there's a possibility of a playing game for the eighth seed in the Western Conference?" Grub, your thoughts. No, no. The, the Grizzlies have no justification to be upset because they had, if, if, we, if you had to play out the NBA season, the likelihood was that they were going to miss the playoffs. I mean, we're talking about models that had the Pelicans at 60% or higher of making the playoffs based on the schedule down the stretch. It, it was more than likely that the Grizzlies would be out of the playoffs completely they still have the odds incredibly stacked in their favor. Even after the eight games, somebody's going to have to beat them twice, most likely, at a neutral site, and they only have to win one game. 
So they've gotten all the advantages still given to them. They got an even greater advantage because of the schedule change. I don't understand what they're so upset about. Like, if you lose it or if you get it now, it's going to be completely on your own merit. You have no one to blame but yourself. And if they go four and four, that's really all they have to do. If you go four and four, three and five, they would still be in the eighth spot. You know what I mean? Like, that's all they have to do is just kind of cruise in and then not let somebody beat them twice in back-to-back games. It's, it's, it's insane. Now, I do love the fact that New Orleans and Memphis is, gonna be, is becoming a rivalry. I love that because I think the cities have such commonality. And I said before the season that I felt like for the next five to ten years, New Orleans-Memphis could be one of the hottest rivalries in basketball. And I think New Orleans-Memphis could become the equivalent of Falcon Saints in this region. As far as basketball goes, two cities on the river. One is the home of Jazz. One's the home of the Blues. They're both bordering Mississippi. They're both deep south. They're both very structurally the same in just that, that the way that they're – the makeup of the towns. Service-oriented, you know, blue-collar towns, a lot of personality, great music histories. Come on, like it's perfect. <laughs> it's everything that we tried to make Houston into. Memphis can be, and they match the timetable so well. Two young teams, two with both with rookie stars. I mean, it couldn't be better. I love it. I want more animosity between New Orleans and Houston. I mean, and excuse me, in Memphis. Uh, and the first and second overall pick, like it just it could not be any better. And like, they you know each other. Yeah, <laughs> they're friends, so that it's just all there. Played with each other in AAU basketball and everything. So uh, it, I'm not going to reiterate all of the teams left on both of these teams' schedules, but I just put an article together on this for the Bird Rights. I'm not sure when that's going to be published. But opponents had a combined win percentage in, in terms of the Grizzlies' remaining schedule of 57.5%. And the one team that threw that off drastically was the New York Knicks. That was like the lone guaranteed win for them. Whereas the Pelicans' remaining schedule was, in terms of combined win percentage for their opponents, is 46.4%. The only three teams that they're playing that they would have played in the remainder of their schedule with a winning record was the LA Clippers, the Jazz, and the Philadelphia 76ers. There is, I, I just would have been shocked if it didn't get incredibly even more close or if the Pelicans didn't overtake them. I think the Grizzlies' reaction is just not justified in the absolute slightest. No. <laughs> it's made for they have everything in their path smoothed. What has been, you know, like I say, what has been was crooked has been laid straight for the Grizzlies. How could you complain? You were going to get mauled down the stretch. Mauled down the stretch. They were already playing basically 500 basketball, just hanging on. Come on, stop it! You, you get, all you have to play is eight games. That's all you have to play. You could have had to play 18, and you get eight. Stop it! If you're Memphis, this is this should be a gift from heaven. You know, like what more could you ask for? You get to be in the spotlight too if you're Memphis. You are now the hunted. So everything will be in relation to Memphis. Like, they don't understand. Like, do you not get that the, how good this is for the Grizzlies if, to be in this position? They are, for the first time, 
in a while, I guess what, probably about three or four years, people are going to be looking at Memphis as, as that's the thing that people, these other five teams are chasing, is chasing Memphis. There you have it, Pels fans. A very opinionated and what we love from David M. Grubb here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm looking at your Twitter, so I had to say your full name there. Um, host of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb on Sports, 1280 Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. in New Orleans. David also covers the Pelicans for the Bird Rights. He's also just been on the Bird Calls NO, so you'll be able to listen to that here soon. David, thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate you, brother. Oh, no problem. Happy to do it anytime. Just let me know. Hey, man, go take a nap. We're under We're under that hour. I think you deserved it. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Have a good one, David. There it is, Pels fans. Excellent, excellent stuff today from David Grubb of Hard in the Paint. It's on Sports 1280 AM in New Orleans. Also a writer for The Bird Rights. So I told you those links would be in the description of this uh, podcast today. I, I told you that yesterday as well, but I promise it's true this time. Uh, again, I want to thank David for, for stopping by and joining us on today's show before i let you go before we let you go here on believe in the new orleans pelicans go follow at elliot clough on twitter you're going to be seeing polls how you can interact with the podcast and a ton of other things bird rights articles hoops habit articles and anything newsworthy coming from the Pelicans or the NBA. So excellent ways that you can engage with us here at Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. And if you have any questions, any concerns, any thoughts about the podcast, feel free to respond to any tweet that is up there. Or of course, you can just hashtag what the Pell. And while you are here, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe, leave a rate and review. Do it! That's going to help us a lot in the long run. And if you're listening on a different platform, just make sure you subscribe, follow, whatever said platform asks that you do. That way you're getting notifications and informed about the Pelicans as well. Make sure to go follow Believe on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on Believe.com or just head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this podcast right here. You can check out some more Pelicans coverage on Fansided's Hoops Habit website. And of course, I just debuted for the first time with the Bird Rights and Grizzlies fans are a little bit upset with me to say the least. I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier, a tad butthurt. And it's honestly kind of funny because the more they respond to that tweet, the more publicity the, uh, the article gets. And we love that. We love it, don't we? So, Stay tuned, Pels fans. We're going to have more coming at you this coming week. And don't forget, if you missed any other episodes here on Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans, you can just scroll on down, check those out as well. So, Pelicans fans, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.